Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to Zion's Redemption Radio Network. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. This is Fundamentally Mormon. Today we're going to be reading Chapter 10 of Polygamy in the Bible, pages 101 to 114. The title of the chapter is King David. The reader portion of the program is about 26 minutes long. And then we'll get into the reading and commentary. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. We'll get into the reader program part part of the podcast or radio show. And then we'll get into the reading and commentary at which point all the phone lines will be open for people to call in. There's also a chat room at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. Here we go. King David, chapter 10 of Polygamy in the Bible, pages 101 to 114, musician, soldier, king and polygamist. And it shall be, if thou less than Jeroboam greater than will hearken unto all that I command thee, and will walk in thy ways, and do that is right in my sight, to keep my statutes and my commandments, as David my servant did, that I will be with thee. Our Kings 11.38 No other king in Israel exhibited such strength, or such weakness, as did King David. His life reads like a fiction story with all the adventures of courage, war, conflict, romance and sorrow. From a shepherd to a king while yet a boy, was astounding enough, but many exciting years followed which were filled with intrigue, victory and calamity. In his character and in his accomplishments, he stands like a superman in the dreams of men. All in all, David was a grand character. He was, heart and soul, devoted to God and the ways of God. In a world of idolatry, and in a nation that was continually falling away into idolatry, David stood like a rock for God. In every circumstance of life he went directly to God, in prayer, in thanks, or in praise. Halley's Babel Hound Book, p. 179 102. David lived a life that was exemplary in countless ways, and he remained almost spotless before God and man. And he, too, was a polygamist. In reviewing the life of David and Dash, he was the youngest son of a large family, born in 1085 BC, at Bethlehem. 
His father was Jesse, whose grandfather was Boaz that married Ruth, the Moabite. We know that Jesse had eight sons, C.I. Sam, 1610, and perhaps as many daughters, which infers that he, too, might have been a polygamist. Even in his youth, David was very devoted to God. He lived at a time when there was much idolatry, instability and wickedness among all the nations. Yet he stood firm in his faith to the God of Abraham. In fact, it was written that David was a man after God's own heart. 1 Sam 13, 14, Acts 13, 22, a concise but comprehensive physical and moral description of David's character was penned by Halley, who wrote, David was short of stature, ruddy, a beautiful countenance, handsome, of immense physical strength, and great personal attractiveness, a man of war, prudent in speech, very brave, very musical and very religious. Bible Handbook, p. 174. David lived under the reign of Saul, the first king of Israel. Saul, too, was a handsome, very tall and righteous man that had been selected by God through the prophet Samuel to that kingship. The scriptures tell us that Saul was a choice young man, 103, and goodly, and there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. I Sam. 9. 1. He was blessed to associate with many of God's prophets, and the Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. I Sam. 10. 11. When Samuel the prophet met Saul for the first time, the Lord said unto him, Behold the man whom I spake to thee of. This same shall reign over my people. I Sam. 9. 17. The prophet then anointed Saul's head with oil, and he was appointed to be a king in Israel. Now this good man was a polygamist, too. One wife was named Dianom, I Sam. 1450, and the other was Rizbar, to Sam. 3, 7. While Saul was king, he fought against many enemies of Israel and God helped him to be victorious. But after a couple of years, being torn by the fierce fighting of war and the struggle here between the new and old systems of governing Israel, he once became impatient and made a fateful error. In his rush to defeat his enemies, he stepped out of his kingly office to officiate as a priest and made a burnt offering sacrifice. When Samuel the prophet learned of it, he asked him why he did it. Saul replied that the Philistines were gathered for war, his own people were scattered, and no priest was at hand to officiate in the sacrifice. So he did it himself. Samuel rebuked him by saying, Thou is done foolishly, and told him his kingdom shall not continue. It was at this momentous occasion that Saul heard those faithful words, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. The Lord then revealed to Saul that, because you have rejected God, God has rejected you from being king. This seemed like such a minor incident. Yet it was so terrible in its consequences. 
saw then, 104, gave an excuse which would be used by wayward leaders for thousands of years ever after. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord, and thy words, because I feared the people, and obeyed their voice. 1 Sam 15, 24 The excuse was too weak for the Lord, and from that moment Saul lost his power, respect and sanity, not to mention his kingdom. Samuel the prophet now set out to find a new king. Being led to the home of Jesse, he asked to see his sons. Seven were presented, and Samuel favored the eldest and Dash but not so with the Lord. It was then that the Lord revealed his choice and Dash the youngest son, David, who was tending sheep. Samuel found him, poured the anointing oil on his head, and designated him a king in Israel. Neither David nor his parents fully understood what this meant, but God knew. He saw in that boy a man after his own heart. By now Saul was becoming irrational. He forced his army to abstain from food. He had fits, and made up a senseless order that became a death sentence to his own son. It was during these troublesome periods that he wanted something to soothe and comfort his troubled spirit. Someone recommended the boy David, a harpist, to come and play music for him. Young David was immediately taken into the good favor of Saul and became the court musician in the Moor era. The Israelites were then engaged in battle and the siege looked completely hopeless. The Philistines, 105, had challenged the Israelites to make combat with their champion, Goliath. He was a giant of a soldier indeed, standing over eight feet tall. His armor alone weighted nearly 200 pounds. Goliath boasted of his strength and ridiculed the weakness of Israel. David was indignant. He went to King Saul begging his chance at Goliath and testifying that he had killed a bear and a lion with his sling. Saul listened to the young boy's courage with admiration. For a young boy to battle with a giant, using only a staff and a sling, was an unheard of act of bravery, but it was certainly a demonstration of his trust in God. It was a very short battle but one that would live long in the memory of Israel and throughout succeeding generations. The Israelites needed to learn that God does not save by sword and spear, but by his own strength. A small boy with God's help killed a mighty giant. This was a clear message to the Israelite nation. David's victory over the Philistine was cheered by all of Israel. He immediately became a national hero. From a boy more apparent a commander-in-chief of the Israelite armies was a quick and amazing change. But it aroused the jealousy and animosity of King Saul. The glory of Saul was being eclipsed by this young boy, David, and it brought about a hatred and a fear that David might take over his throne. Saul sent David against the Philistines with a promise that his prized daughter would be his if David was victorious. However, Saul expected David to be killed. So, when David was victorious, Saul reneged on his promise of Merab, 
giving David his daughter Michael instead. This, too, became a cause for dismay to Saul, because their marriage blossomed into deep love and much happiness. 106, Saul now secretly plotted the death of David. But it was Saul's own son, Jonathan, that warned David of the plot. The threat was also confirmed by Saul's daughter, Michael. David became a fugitive and went from town to town and far into the wilderness to escape the soldiers of Saul. It was during this lonely and hunted existence that he wrote many of the Psalms. Saul's forces were constantly on David's trail, as he sought refuge among mountains, caves and even with the enemies of Israel. Saul once acknowledged that he was a fool for trying to kill David and Dash but he kept on being one. During one of these transient trips through towns and villages, he came into the town of Men where he met a wealthy lady who was a woman of good understanding and of a beautiful countenance. Her name was Abigail and it was with her that David entered into a polygamous marriage. 1 Sam 25, 42, shortly after this, David came to a place called Jezreel, where he found another lady to his liking, and he married her, too. This was Obinom, who became his third wife. If David's polygamy was sinful, God would have sent him notice that he had lost his position of king, as he did Saul. Also, if such a thing were against the law of Moses, the people themselves would have never let him be their king. But that is not the way this history is recorded. Saul had originally entered into his kingship with great promise. However, he soon displayed a lack of wisdom because of several errors, after which he became led by an evil spirit. He was troubled because of both his great love and his great hate for David. 107, finally, Saul lost his three sons in battle, and he himself was severely wounded. Filled with grief and despair, he fell on his own sword, thus ending his troubled life. David was then appointed king by the people, confirming God's anointing, which gave him complete rule over the house of Judah. Later he received the third appointment as king over all the tribes of Israel. He reigned over Judah for seven dash one half years, then over all of Israel for another 33 years and dash and, all of this as a polygamist and with God's approval. David's first act as king was to seize Jerusalem away from the Jebusites. The city took on a new luster and thrilled the Israelites. For the first time this city fulfilled the boundaries and dominions of the prophetic description of the chosen people, Genesis 15 18-21. The Ark of the Covenant was brought into Jerusalem, and the city would soon be called the City of David. See 2 Sam 5, 9, 1 Crone 11, 7, as a most successful warrior. David completely subdued the Philistines, Moabites, Syrians, Edomites, Ammonites, Amalekites, and all the other neighboring nations. Thus, the Lord gave victory to David, whithersoever he went. 
to Sam. 8, 6, when David took over Israel, it was an insignificant nation, and during his 40 years as king, he built it into a mighty kingdom and Asher almost a world empire. It was perhaps the most powerful single kingdom on the earth at the time, consisting of nearly 8 million people. God said to David, 108, I was with thee whithersoever thou wentest, and have cut off all thine enemies out of thy side, and have made thee a great name, like unto the name of the great men that are in the earth. 2 Sam 7, 9 Instead of condemning David for having many wives, God didn't even mention it. Furthermore, he kept heaping blessings on this polygamist and on the people over whom he ruled. It is necessary to pause here for a moment to consider another important factor in the polygamous marriages of David. When Saul was still king of Israel, David was living polygamy. Then at the death of Saul, his wives were given to David by the Lord. Here is what the Lord said to David about this arrangement. I gave thee thy master's house, and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and I gave thee the house of Israel and Judah, and if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. 2 Sam 12, 8 the Lord gave more wives to a man who was already a polygamist. God could have donated them separately to some of the poor souls who didn't have any, but instead he added them all to a man who already had several wives. Also note that if that had not been enough, God would have given him more. This is conclusive proof that God not only sanctioned plural marriage, but he regulated it by his own wisdom and direction, and favored it above monogamy. 109. Some of the wives of David are mentioned by name. Michael, 1 Sam. 18. 27. Abigail, 1 Sam. 25. 42. Abinom, 1 Sam. 25. 43. Marcha, 1 Crone. 3, 2, Haggurth, 1 Crone. 3, 2, Abital, 1 Crone. 3, 3, Egla, 1 Crone. 3, 3, Bathsheba, 1 Crone. 3, 5, these women were acknowledged as wives and listed as such in the scriptures. Furthermore, their children were accepted as legitimate and listed in the recognized genealogies of the Israelites. This is another convincing proof that polygamy was acceptable to the Lord and by the people. Notice that in a few short sentences the sons and wives of David were accurately recorded in this genealogical record. And unto David were sons born in Hebron, and his firstborn was Amnon, and Abinom, the Jezreelites and his second Chileah, of Abigail, the wife of Nabal the Carmelite, and the third, of Salom, the son of Machar, the daughter of Talmiah, king of Dshah, and the fourth, Adonijah, the son of Hagurth, and the fifth, Shephatia, the son of Abotel, and the sixth, Idrim, by Eglah, David's wife.
These were born to David in Hebron. To Sam. 3, 2-5, 110. But, of course, the number of wives of David does not stop here. We read that David took him more concubines and wives out of Jerusalem after he was come from Hebron. Opening parenthesis to Sam. 5, 13. What a polygamist. With all this constant addition of wives and concubines, God made no rebuke, showed no disfavor, neither did he cause David any affliction for so doing. How could anyone say that God did not approve of David's polygamy? The number of David's wives and concubines must have grown to quite a number during his years as king. In one verse of the Bible there is a little hint of the great number there must have been. And the king lessened David greater than went forth, all his household after him. And the king left ten women, which were concubines, to keep the house. 2 Sam 15, 16 King David took his household with him on a journey, but left ten of his concubines to take care of the house while they were away. It appears that all of his household represented a majority of his wives and the ten he left behind were a minority. He certainly must have had a big household if it takes ten women to take care of it while his family, or most of it, are away. Many inspired and beautiful psalms were written by David. Christians everywhere are probably more acquainted with the writings of this polygamist than any other writer in the Bible. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, is quoted by young and old. Those who have studied the written word of God the most, probably appreciate quotations like, The 111 heavens declare the glory of God. Some of the wisest and most inspirational words in scripture fell from the mountain pen of this polygamist. David's relationship with Bathsheba will be discussed in the following chapter. However, there is one last story about David and his polygamy that occurred near the end of his life. When King David was old and stricken in years, he had trouble getting warm, so they looked for a young virgin who was very fair to look upon. After a long search throughout all the coasts of Israel, they found Abishag, a Shunammite, and brought her into the king so that she might lie in thy bosom that my lord the king may get heat. She cherished the king and ministered to him, but the king knew her not. It was evident his days were nearly over. Amidst all the explicit confessions he made in the most solemn hours of his repentance, he does not once bewail the polygamy he lived in. Nay, almost the last act of his life was an act of polygamy, in taking Abishag, the Shunammite, to lie in his bosom his wife Bathsheba being then living. For though it be said, 1 Kings 1, 4, that he knew her not, yet it plainly appears, by what Solomon said, our Kings 2.22-23, that she was so betrothed or espoused to David, as to be looked upon as his wife. Philip Tara, p. 170, according to historian Josephus. 
David was 70 years old when he was buried in the city of David, commonly known as Jerusalem. And he died in a good old age, full of ace, riches and honor. Akron 29, 28, 112. Thus, it is in the life of David that we have one of the clearest expressions of God's attitude towards polygamy and adultery. Consider these corroborative events. 1. God never personally rebuked David for living polygamy. Neither did any of the prophets condemn him for taking many women for wives. His living with several wives for 45 years was never denounced nor disapproved. The scriptures tell us. Because David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, and turned not aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, save only in the matter of Uri the Hittite. I Kings 15, 5, 2 The only moral sin attributed to David was his adultery with Uri's wife, which means that he was not condemned for his polygamy. To illustrate, God said to Jeroboam, And it shall be, that if thou wilt hearken unto all that I command thee, and wilt walk in my ways, and do that is right in my sight, to keep my statutes and my commandments, as David my servant did, that I will be with thee. A Kings 11.38.3 When David committed a sexual act with Bathsheba, God sent a prophet to rebuke him for it. But during the 45 years David lived with many 113 women in polygamy, no one ever made a whisper against him for that. 4. If polygamy is wrong, why didn't God pick out monogamists who were more common to rule over Israel instead of Saul, David and Solomon, who were polygamists? If the leaders of Israel were polygamists, wouldn't God realize that it would have a tendency to influence others to follow their example? 5. God continually told David where his enemies were, what they were doing, where to meet them in battle, etc. Why didn't he notice all those women that were living in David's house if they were doing something wrong? 6. When Saul made an illegal burnt offering and suffered such a terrible fate for doing it, why didn't God punish him or David for living polygamy? 7. When David was living polygamy and running from a death warrant, why didn't God allow him to be captured and put to death if his polygamy was a sin equal to adultery? 8. When Saul died, why didn't God divide his wives among the single men instead of giving them all to a polygamist, thus perpetuating a polygamist with more wives? 9. If a bastard was not allowed to be included in the genealogy of these Israelites, how come polygamist children are always mentioned there? 114. 10. David had three wives before he was anointed king over Judah and Israel. Yet God and the people of Israel chose him to be the king. This indicates that the laws of God and the laws of man both approved of polygamy. 11. David had a son born through his adulterous act, which God smote to death before he was a week old. 
How do we account for the children born through polygamy becoming kings, prophets, patriarchs, and the lineage through whom Jesus Christ was born? Whatever the critics may say against polygamy, they must admit that, except for one sin, polygamist David was a valiant soldier, an outstanding king, and a righteous man. Furthermore, he was so close to God throughout his life, that God himself admitted that David was a man after God's own heart. 115 Chapter 11 Bathsheba, the Beautiful So that's the reader program portion of the program. Let's get into the reading and commentary portion of the program. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. There's a chat room available for questions and comments at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally mormon. And I'll start off the reading. King David, chapter 10 of Polygamy in the Bible, pages 101 to 114. Musician, soldier, king, and polygamist. And it shall be if thou, Jeroboam, wilt hearken unto all that I command thee, and wilt walk in my ways and do that which is right in my sight to keep my statutes and my commandments as David my servant did that I will be with thee. 1 Kings chapter 11 verse 38 No other king in Israel exhibited such strength or such weakness as King David. His life reads like a fiction story with all the adventure of courage, war, conflict, romance, and sorrow. From a shepherd to a king while yet a boy was astounding enough, but many exciting years followed which were filled with intrigue, victory, and calamity. In his character and in his accomplishments, He stands like a superman in the the dreams of men. All in all, David was a grand character. He was heart and soul devoted to God and the ways of God in the world of idolatry and in a nation that was continually falling away into idolatry. David stood like a rock for God. In every circumstance, of life he went directly to God in prayer, in thanks, or in praise. And quote Haley's Bible Handbook, page 179, or on page 102. David lived a life that was exemplary in countless ways, and he remained almost spotless before God and man, and he, too, was a polygamist. 
In reviewing the life of David, he was the youngest son of a large family born in 1085 B.C. at Bethlehem. His father was Jesse, whose grandfather was Boaz, that married Ruth the Moabite. We know that Jesse had eight sons, see 1 Samuel 16, verse 10, and perhaps as many daughters, which infers that he too might have been a polygamist. Even in his youth, David was very devoted to God. He lived at a time when there was much idolatry, instability, and wickedness among all the nations. Yet he stood firm in his faith to be uh, to the God of Abraham. In fact, it was written that David was a man after God's own heart. First Samuel thirteen fourteen. See also Acts thirteen verse twenty two. A concise but comprehensive physical and moral description of David's character was penned by Haley, who wrote, quote, David was short of stature, ruddy, of beautiful countenance, handsome, a, of immense physical strength and great personal attractiveness, a man of war, prudent in speech, very brave, very musical and very religious. Bible Handbook, page 174. Well, real quick, when it says David was ruddy, that means he had red hair. You know who else had red hair? Muhammad. Isn't that weird that there were redheads in the Middle East when everybody there is supposed to be Semitic? I mean... I don't, I don't know. People are just like, Jesus couldn't have been, you know, couldn't have blue eyes and blonde hair or whatever, you know, or red hair. (laughs) Because he does have red in his hair. Just because it doesn't fit into what you think your narrative should be doesn't mean it's not true. Muhammad, out in Arabia, he was a redhead. So was David. And so are others. I don't know what to tell you about that. That's what that means, ready. It, it's, you know, there were other redheads in the Bible too. So anyway, just just something that I, I notice being a redhead myself. All right, let's see. Well, my red beard is very giving. I mean, you can tell I've got red hair. But my hair is a little bit different. The hair on the top of my head when I'm in the sun, it shines red. (laughs) It's like, I don't want to say color changing. It just depends on what time of year as to what color it is. So, I don't know. It's all interesting. But it doesn't matter. Anyway, just something I noticed. All right. Continuing on with the reading, we're at 11%. David lived under the reign of Saul, or Shaul, the first king of Israel. I'm just going to call him Shaul, just because that that's what his name is. And David was David. <laughs> Shaul, too, was a handsome, very tall, and righteous man, 
that had been selected by God through the prophet Shamuel or Samuel Shamuel <laughs> to that kingship the scripture tells us that Shaul Saul was a choice young man page 103 and was godly and there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he First Samuel chapter 9 verse 1 he was blessed to associate with many of God's prophets and the spirit of God came upon him and he prophesied among them First Samuel chapter 10 verse 11 so that's interesting so Saul was a prophet and he became a fallen prophet because he had the gift of prophecy interesting but you never thought of that before anyway when Samuel the prophet met Saul for the first time the Lord said unto him behold the man whom I spake to thee of the same shall reign over my people for and that's in first Samuel chapter 9 verse 17 the prophet then anointed Saul's head with oil and he was appointed to be a king in Israel now this good man was a polygamist too one wife was named Ahanum first Samuel chapter 14 verse 50 and the other was named Rizpah second Sam Samuel chapter 3 verse 7 while Shaul Saul was king he fought against many enemies of Israel and God helped him to be victorious but after a couple of years being torn by the fierce fighting of war and the struggle he had between the new and the old systems of governing Israel he once became impatient and made a fateful error in his rush to defeat his enemies, he stepped out of his kingly office to officiate as a priest and made a burnt offering sacrifice. When Samuel, or Shemuel, <laughs> the prophet, learned of it, he asked him why he did it. Shaul replied that the Philistines were gathered for war. His own people were scattered, and no priest was at hand to officiate in the sacrifice. So he did it himself. See, that's like steadying the ark without authority. If you don't have right to steady the ark, you're cursed for trying. So it reminds me of uh, Doctrine and Covenants section 85 where Jesus tells Joseph Smith that he will have to send one mighty and strong to set the house of God in order, which first of all implies it would become out of order, which it has. But then he also says that he who is called and appointed stretches forth his hand to steady the ark and is destroyed by the vivid shaft of lightning for his troubles. That's because... If you don't have authority to set the house of God in order, it doesn't matter what you do to try to set the house of God in order. If you don't have authority 
you're not going to do it. And the, you can do everything that you want to set the house of God in order. You can live everything as perfect as you can possibly live it. But that's not setting the house of God in order. It's good that you're doing that. If you're doing that in a group that's separate from the mainstream church, which is completely in apostasy, then I commend you for your efforts. But to say that you're set in order, like certain members of a branch in Tonopah, without the authority of the one mighty and strong, you do not have the setting in order that you claim to have. Now I know that Joseph Smith is one mighty and strong, but the fact of the matter is, there are 15 for this earth who are mighty and strong. And Joseph did not set you in order. I'm sorry. Gerald. I'm just, I just, I can't even, I don't even know. All right, so real quick before I go on, I know I'm going off onto tangents and everything, but here's the deal. Nobody had the right to set the house of God in order during the life of Joseph Smith because he was the one that was sealed up to the Father. And in order to be set in order, not only did you have to obey Joseph Smith, but you had to be sealed to him as well, which created a link on the earth, turning the hearts of the children on the earth to the fathers in heaven. Because of corruption, because of a whole bunch of stuff, when God laid his hands upon my head in the spring of 2003 and sealed me up unto himself, I became that link on the earth. And uh, without being sealed to me, you cannot be set in order. No matter if you're doing everything that you know to be right. You can be doing everything perfect and you're not being set in order completely. And the man who was called and appointed to lead the people who does not have authority to set in order the house of God, who has not been sealed up to the Father, that man will be destroyed by the, the vivid shaft of lightning when he tries to do such a thing. Now, I don't know who that man is. It could be Rusty Nelson. It could be a number of other people. But they don't have the right to set the house of God in order, even if they proclaim to be the Lord's anointed. The fact of the matter is, they get the ordination from men. I got my ordination from the Father himself as his witness. So anyway, we're at 19% of the reading today. Let's see here. Samuel rebuked him by saying, Thou hast done foolishly and told him his kingdom shall not continue. It was at this momentous occasion that Saul heard those fateful words. 
Behold, I obey, or to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. The Lord then revealed to Shaul that because you have rejected God, God has rejected you from being king. This seemed like such a minor incident, yet it was so terrible in its consequences. Shaul then gave an excuse which would be used by wayward leaders for thousands of years ever after. Quote, and Shaul said to Shemuel, or Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandments of Jehovah our Elohim, or the Lord. <laughs> and thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 24. The excuse was too weak for the Lord, and from that moment, Saul lost his power, respect, and sanity, not to mention his kingdom. Samuel the prophet now set out to find a new king. Being led to the home of Jesse, he asked to see his sons. Seven were presented, and Samuel favored the oldest, but not so with the Lord. It was then that the Lord revealed his choice. The youngest son, David, or David, who was tending sheep. Samuel found him, poured the anointing oil on his head, and designated him a king in Israel. Neither David nor his parents fully understood what this meant, but God knew. He saw in that boy a man after his own heart. By now, Shaul was becoming irrational. He focused his army to, or he forced his army to abstain from food. He had fits and made up a senseless order that became a death sentence to his own son. It was during these troublesome periods that he wanted something to soothe and comfort his troubled spirit. Someone recommended the boy David, a harpist, to come and play music for him. Young David was immediately taken into the good favor of Shaul and became a court musician and armor bearer. The Israelites were then engaged in battle, and the siege looked completely hopeless. The Philistines had challenged the Israelites to make combat with their champion, Goliath. He was a giant of a soldier indeed, standing over eight feet tall. His armor alone weighed nearly 200 pounds. Goliath boasted of his strength and ridiculed the weakness of David uh, of Israel of Israel David was in, indignant he went to king Saul begged his chance at Goliath and testified that he killed a bear and a lion with a sling Saul listened to the young boy's courage with admiration for a young boy to battle with a giant using only a staff and a sling was unheard of an, 
was an unheard of act of bravery, but it was certainly a demonstration of his trust in God. It was a very short battle, but one that would live long in the memory of Israel and throughout the succeeding generations. The Israelites needed to learn that God does not save by sword and spear, but by his own strength. A small boy with God's help killed a mighty giant. This was a clear message to the Israelite nation. David's victory over the Philistine was cheered by all of Israel. He immediately became a national hero. From a boy armor-bearer to commander-in-chief of Israelite armies was a quick and amazing change, but aroused the jealousy and animosity of King Shaul. The glory of Shaul was being eclipsed by this young boy David, and it, be, and it brought about the hatred and fear that David mate, might take over his throne. Shaul sent David again against the Philistines with a promise that his prized daughter would be his if David was victorious. However, Shaul expected David to be killed. So when David was victorious, Shaul reneged on his promise of Mirab, giving David his daughter Michal instead. This too became a cause for dismay to Shaul because their marriage blossomed into deep love and much happiness. Page 106. Shaul now secretly plotted the death of David, but it was, David, it was Shaul's own son, Jonathan, Jonathan, that warned David of the plot. The threat was also confirmed by Shaul's daughter, Michal, David became a fugitive and went from town to town and far into the wilderness to escape the soldiers of Shaul. Okay, I was interrupted by a phone call, but this is a recording, so I was able to pause it. I'm not exactly sure which sentence I'm on, so I'll just continue with which sentence I think I was on. <laughs> David became a fugitive and went from town to town and far into the wilderness to escape the soldiers of Shaul. It was during this lonely and, haunt, and hunted existence that he wrote many of the Psalms. Shaul's forces were constantly on David's, David's trail as he sought refuge among mountains, caves, and even the enemies of Israel. Shaul once acknowledged that he was a fool for trying to kill David, but he kept on being one. During one of these transient trips through towns and villages, he came into the town of Mahon, where he met a wealthy met a wealthy lady who was a woman of good understanding and of a beautiful countenance. Her name was Abigail, and it was with her that David entered into a polygamous marriage. First Samuel chapter 25, verse 42. Shortly after this, David came to a place called Ye Jezreel, or Jezreel, 
where he found another lady to his liking, and he married her, too. This was Abinom, who became his third wife. If David's polygamy were sinful, God would have sent him notice that he had lost his position of king, as he did to Shaul. Also, if such a thing were against the laws of Moses, or Moshe, the people themselves would have never let him be their king. But that is not the way this history is recorded. Shaul had originally entered into his kingship with great promise. However, he soon displayed the lack of wisdom because of several errors after which he became led by an evil spirit. He was troubled because of both his great love and his great hate for David. Page 107. Finally, Shaul lost his three sons in battle, and he himself was severely wounded. Filled with grief and despair, he fell on his own sword, thus ending his troubled life. David was then appointed king by the people, confirming God's anointing, which gave him complete rule over the house of Judah. Later, he received a third appointment as king over all the tribes of Israel. He reigned over Judah for seven and a half years, then over all of Israel for another 33 years, and all of this as a polygamist with God's approval. David's act, first act as king was to seize Jerusalem away from the Jebusites. The city took on a new luster and thrilled the Israelites. For the first time, the city fulfilled the boundaries and dominions of the prophetic description of the chosen people that is given in Bereshit or Genesis chapter 15 verses 18 through 21. The Ark of the Covenant was brought into Jerusalem and the city soon would be called the, the city of David. See 2 Samuel chapter 5 verses 9 and 9. Also 1 Chronicles chapter 11 verse 7. As a most successful warrior, David completely subdued the Philistines, the Moabites, the Syrians, the Edomites, the Ammonites, the Amalekites, and all of the other neighboring nations. Thus, the Lord gave victory to David whithersoever he went. 2 Samuel chapter 8, verse 6. When David took over Israel, it was an insignificant nation. And during his 40 years as king, he built it into a mighty kingdom, almost a world empire. It was perhaps the most powerful single kingdom on the earth at the time, consisting of nearly 8 million people. God said to David, quote, and this is on page 108, I was with thee whithersoever thou wentst, and have cut off all thine enemies out of thy sight and have made thee a great name like unto the name of a great man uh, great men that are in the earth 
Second Samuel chapter 7, verse 9. So, I like this because even in all that David went through, God was with him. Even in the hard, hard times he went through, God was with him. Sometimes God asks us to go through some things, and we don't even know that he's, he's allowing us to go through things, but it's for our own good. When I saw the Father and the Son face-to-face in the spring of 2003, the Father told me that I could go with Jesus and ask him three questions. Now, for those of you that don't know my history, my childhood was ridiculous. Um, I have good memories. I have really, really, really bad memories, though. My dad became a drug addict. Um, My mom... I'm the oldest. And I look and talk a lot like my dad. And she sent me away a lot from the time I was two years old and even before that before I was 18 I moved over a hundred times after my dad was locked up and my mom finally got rid of him for being a drug addict uh, we went through some hard times and I was shipped off to my grandparents' house a lot, which I loved being with them, but I just wanted to be with my mom, but she didn't want me. Anyway, but so my my mom eventually got married to my stepdad, who was an abusive alcoholic, and there was just a lot of stuff I don't really want to get into, which set me into a complete tailspin as um, as a child and as a teenager. And uh, I first told my mom in 1986 that I wanted to kill myself. And I wasn't joking. Later on, I tried to commit suicide several times. I was in and out of state care. I was even placed in a uh, psychiatric ward at Primary Children's Hospital, um, third floor, West Wing. Um, I don't want to go into the details, but my mom tricked me to get me in there. And I actually loved it there. I wanted to stay there. I did not want to go home because at home, it was nothing but chaos and turmoil. And I hated it. And even though I felt neglected and rejected by my own mother, not to mention the fact that my father just never was around. um, And then dealing with the the physical abuse of my stepfather, 
Um, I, I wanted to stay there. Um, anyway, but so like all of these things happened. I've been on my own since I was 16. Not because I chose to be on my own, but because my aunt um, and uncle pulled me out of school one month before 10th grade ended. They moved me from Soda Springs, Idaho to Kaysville, Utah, where I lived in a single wide trailer home with them. And then about a month after we got established there, just me and my aunt and a couple of her kids came down. But my my uncle stayed up in Soda Springs because that's where his job was. I got a job, and then when I was at work one day, um, I was at the burger stop in Layton, Utah, which is right by the Layton um, High School. Layton, uh, I think they're called the Lancers, Layton Lancers. Anyway, that's where I was working at the burger stop there on Gentile. And my aunt came in and she gave me the keys and she said, we're going to go visit my husband. Uh, we'll be back in a couple of days. And I was like, okay. And I had a motor, like this little four, um, 400cc motorcycle two-banger, I guess. Anyway, so I was able to get home from work. I got home. I went into the house. All of their stuff is gone. And there's a note on the counter that said, you're old enough to be emancipated and you're not my responsibility. I called my mom and she said her boyfriend didn't like me, even though she had never introduced me to him. Now, I don't talk to my mother anymore because she's a very, um, I just, I can't even deal with her. I tried for so many years to, to, uh, to have a relationship with her. And after my baby died last year and what she did, I just, I don't even care to talk to her ever again. And I know maybe that's wrong, but, but that's just, what I've chosen and I haven't talked to my dad since 2006 um as far as I know he's still alive because I haven't heard anything different but whatever so anyway um so all of these things happen in my life a lot of really bad stuff which led into multiple suicide attempts multiple um issues with drugs and homelessness and um, my whole life turned around when I met the missionaries and God revealed to me that Joseph Smith was a true prophet and even though I was homeless after that I knew that there was a God and I knew that Joseph Smith was his prophet anyway long story short um through a, a series of miraculous events, I was able to go on a mission, get my endowments out, have my patriarchal blessing. And in my patriarchal blessing, it says that I have been given the greatest gift that God has to bestow the gift of eternal life, which is why I kept on asking God, what does it mean to have your calling and election made sure? What does it mean to have the greatest gift how is it that I can be given this when I've gone through hell? And that's why I saw the Father and the Son. And when I was talking to the Father, to the Son, to Jesus Christ, 
He told me that all of the things that I have been through were for his wise purposes. That he allowed me to go through that for his wise purposes. That I might be molded and made into the servant that God needs me to be. And this same thing right here in 2 Samuel chapter 7 verse 9. I love it. Because God told David the same thing that he told me. And then I've got to be done with this. So my wife or son, are, they're probably going to have to read after this. But I'm just going to say this. Second Samuel chapter 9, verse 7. I was with thee whithersoever thou wentst, and have cut off all thine enemies out of thy sight, and have made thee a great name like unto the name of the great men that are in the earth. David went through some hard, hard times. But God was with him. And sometimes when when God has us go through some really hard times, there's a reason for that. Because gold does not get purified unless it goes through fire. And still does not get strong unless it's beat. And sometimes God allows you to go through some things. But if he's the one who is putting you through it or allowing you to go through it and you turn to him, he will make you stronger because of it. Anyway, so um, I have to finish this part of the, the recording, but we'll go into the... Uh, reading with my wife or my son, whoever's going to do it. Real quick, the guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. Here we go. All right. I uh, am almost to the grids at the spur, so i got to put my rocks into this hole in the ground. Kim, are you on? I don't hear you. Can you hear me? Hello? Yes. Okay, good. I'm, like, trying to figure it out. Uh, I had the mic up still, but uh, Lydia was unmuting me. Um, Uh All right. I was trying to follow along, um, but I don't know the last word that you said. I know we were on page 108. Okay. 108, the first paragraph is uh, 2 Samuel chapter 9. All right, chapter 7, verse 9. That's where we're chapter at. Chapter 7, verse 9. Okay. Yep, and I'm using That's it. That's where you said. So I have no okay. idea how to mute it, so I'm going to mute it on um, the phone. Yeah, and cool. I could explain to you how to do it, but you might still push the wrong one. So the one on the <laughs> left side, um, the one okay. that's um, all the way um, forward on the left side, that one will mute and unmute you. The one above that will turn it from... Um, it's like three different settings. One is so you can't hear anything else going on around you. And one is hear through. And one is whatever the other one is. So, okay, yeah, you can just hear it and you can hear what it says. So, okay, um, I'll just try to mute myself and I got to jump out and do my gate. So, perfect. Okay, uh, let me go ahead. Oh, Arius has an owie on his finger. <laughs> what happened to you, Hanger? It's okay. 
You need a Band-Aid for it? Okay. Lydia, can you do a Band-Aid? Okay. All right, I have to do reading. I'm helping, um, teaching Lydia how to sew right now, and she's about to thread her a needle for the first time, which is super hard. So you have to lick the end of it and get it nice and pointy. Yep. Make it start, yep, pointy, and then stick it through. I know, it's super hard, but she's 13, definitely capable of doing it. Emmett's taken home ec before. I know he can sew. I just did half of a project, and I'm going to let her finish. Anyway, so it's very interesting. Yay. Okay, continuing on with the reading. Instead of condemning David for having many wives, God didn't even mention it. Furthermore, he kept heaping blessings on this polygamist and on the people over whom he ruled. It is necessary to pause here for a moment to consider another important factor in the polygamous marriages of David. When Saul was still the king of Israel, David was living polygamy. Then at the death of Saul, his wives were given to David by the Lord. Here is what the Lord said to David about this argument. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 8, quote, I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives unto thy bosom, and I gave thee the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. End quote. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 8. The Lord gave more wives to a man who was already a polygamist. God could have donated them separately to some of the poor souls who didn't have any. But instead, he added them all to a man who ha already had several wives. Also, note that if that had not been enough, God would have given him more. This is conclusive proof that God not only sanctioned plural marriage, but he regulated it by his own wisdom and direction and favored it above monogamy. Now we're on page 109. Some of the wives of David are mentioned by name. Michael in 1 Samuel chapter 18 verse 27, Abigail 1 Samuel chapter 25 verse 42, Abinom 1 Samuel chapter 25 verse 43, Matcha uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 3 verse 2, Haggis 1 Chronicles chapter 3 verse 2, Avital 1 Chronicles chapter 3 verse 3, Igla 1 Chronicles chapter 3 verse 3 and Bathsheba, 1 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 5. These women were acknowledged as wives and listed as such in the scriptures. Furthermore, their children were accepted as legitimate and listed in the recognized genealogies of the Israelites. This is another convincing proof that polygamy was accepted to the Lord and by the people. Notice that in a few short sentences, the sons and wives of David were accurately recorded in this genealogical record. In 2 Samuel uh, chapter 3, verse 2 through 5, quote, And unto David were sons born in Hebron, and his firstborn was Ammon, Amnon, sorry, of Ebinoam, the Jezreelites, and his second, Shelah of Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite, and the third, Absalom, the son of Machacha, <laughs> I don't know, the daughter of Talmi, king of Geshur, and the fourth, Adonijah, son of Haggis, and the fifth, Shephetiah, the son of Abital, and the sixth, Ithrim, by Eglah, David's wife. These were born to David in Hebron. Uh, end quote from Second Samuel chapter 3, verse 2 through 5. And now we're on page 110. And I'm just going to say, this is the kind of stuff that I surely thought that this was going to lead off with, because that is some pretty um, 
solid evidence there. You know, if you're being literal and you're looking at this and thinking, why would God give wives to somebody who already had wives if God was so against them having more wives? And I know that that is a different era. That was a different time. And, and it was widely lived. You know, polygamy was widely lived. So it was seen as more normalized than it is now. But, you know, God's ways really aren't man's ways. And so whether or not we live polygamy now or they lived it back then, God does his thing irregardless. So, I mean, that's all I'm saying. Did you have something to say? Yeah, um, well, uh, it was a mercy to women, too, because, like, if a woman uh, could be in a family that was stable, uh, there was no welfare back then. Um, I mean, you could hire yourself off to be a servant, basically, and be taken care of and, and whatever, but you were not part of the family. But in order to be part of the family, you could join a family and be a wife to a husband who was righteous and who was uh, wealthy, at least wealthy enough to have more than one wife. And like part of the laws of plural marriage uh, in the Torah were that you had to take care of the wife that you took and uh, provide for their clothing, their food, you had to provide for their children. You had to provide for their emotional and sexual needs. Um, it wasn't just like some carnal bunch of people get together like you see in like some of these stupid shows like uh, Finding or Seeking Sister Wife. We had that, uh, well, I guess I shouldn't get into it too much. But you've got, you do have a wicked way to live polygamy, but there's also a righteous way, which is a Torah observant way to live it. And if God um, thought polygamy was such an abomination, he wouldn't have given these wives saving of the deed. Oh, by the way, it's not Michael or Michael, it's Michael <laughs> with us. <laughs> I don't know if you're listening to me. Kim. Sorry. Yep. Kimberly. <laughs> Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Yes. Yes. Could you hear oh. me? I don't even know. Like, are you listening? Or is, could yeah, anybody sorry, hear I me? I am. Yes, I'm trying to uh, help Lydia in between with the sewing project. Oh, okay. So she was just wondering how to um, start. Can you send me that water really quick? Well, I am glad that she's figuring out how to sew. I hope that she learns how to use that sewing machine, and maybe she could sew my $100 coat that I got. (laughs) We can do that. There's yeah. a certain attachment oh, by the way, to go to the end of it so that it doesn't get all caught up in it. I don't because buy $100 so coats for fashion, uh, just for the <laughs> audience. When I was in the oil field like 10 years ago, um, out south of Roosevelt and Vernal, Utah, uh, 40 below zero, like not including the wind chill. Like it got down to 40 below, and I was about to die. Anyways, but back then I was making like ten grand a month. So I called up 
I got a hold. Well, I worked for Anna Darko, who's one of the people that I leased to, or one of the companies I leased to for the emergency work, whatever. And so I called. I got the number from them to the office up on uh, on the North Slope in Prudhoe Bay up in Alaska. <laughs> I called them and I said, what coat do you guys use up there? And they gave me a number to a company, and I called them. And the coats were like, it was 900 and something with packs, 800 plus packs, whatever. Anyway, but they were fire resistant because you have to have certain kinds of clothes in the oil field, but it was like the coat that they used up there. So since I was making 10 grand a month, it wasn't a big deal to drop eight or $900 onto a, a coat that's like way arctic. It's like a big blanket. <laughs> Have you ever worn my coat, Kim? Yeah, you don't remember? I stuck it on over my other coat because I was so cold. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It's kind of cool because it has the cuffs on the sleeves, but then it has the sleeves that go down over the gloves, like way over the gloves, so you can hide your hands. Yeah, so from my the hands weren't even... Yeah. Yeah. And even though you have your your gloves on, and then it's got like a huge um, hood that goes over the top, and it used to have Arctic fox like fur or something, uh, which. It's, I don't have it anymore, but um, but the hard hat goes uh, are the I don't know. I think it's in the, the hood goes know. over the hard hat, so you can wear your hard hat underneath your coat. So I use it every night when I'm fueling because it is nice and cozy and warm, and I can't have it on for too long or I start to get sweaty because uh, you know it's like it might be down to 10 degrees sometimes here, sometimes you know it's starting to warm up so. Like in the morning, it might be in the mid-20s. But this coat, like, it's nice. Aries, no. Anyway. Oh, sorry. No. You've got scissors. So anyway, Um, the reason I said that, and I know this is stupid, but uh, uh, some of my safety cuffs, uh, reflective whatever on the coat, they're starting to come off. And I just noticed yep. it today. So that's like anyway. a hand. Um, that can be done by hand. It's not very hard to fix that. I saw what you're talking about too. Um, so right now is a good time to give out the call out number because there's five more pages left, um, aka like ten seconds for me. So it's not going to take me that much longer to finish this I chapter. Love it when you read. I hate listening to myself read. I hate my voice. I so. I try to like breathe uh, so that I can talk slower because I feel like sometimes people are like, "Holy cow, can't understand what she's saying." But I mean, I do articulate, and they could always just like slow down the recording, right? (laughs) Uh. I slow down for when I'm reading. Sort of. Well, okay. Well, um. I'm going to have to stop at Miller's because my stomach is killing me. So okay. I will um, just mute myself. Um, okay, do you want to get in the call-in call number? Because, like I said, I'm going to be done in just a minute with this. Yeah, it's uh, 917-889-8827. That's for any questions 
about restoration theology, Christianity, Mormonism, and Fort Judaism, and uh, I'll I'll give the best of, uh, you know answer that I can or whatever it is. But I don't know all things, you know, of course. But um, I have spent the last twenty something years in a semi truck, and uh, I, you know, I I use the time to listen and to, you know, when I was like an over the road guy, I read a lot of stuff and I would read it on the audio cassette. And then I would listen to it while I drive, and that's, you know, part of the reason I do things the way I do things with this program is because I am studying and just sharing my study time uh, with the world, basically. So um, so I have gone in-depth in many different topics and uh, also taken college courses on things and just tried to learn and grow, and then God's given me a ton of revelations and visions uh, about different things he wants me to understand and know about. So, um, you know, so I make myself available for people who have questions, you know, so, or maybe if people have statements or comments they want to share with me things, that's fine too. So, anyway. Yep, so um, 917. Eight eight nine eight eight two seven. Yeah. And and I will mute myself. Okay. And I'll continue on on page one hundred and ten. But of course, the number of wives of David does not stop here. We read that David, you are going to have to mute that. That is so loud. <laughs> What's loud? Yep. Uh, you. You're loud. You're going to have to mute it. Okay. I'm sorry. I'll. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> But, of course, the number of wives of David does not stop here. We read that David took him more concubines and wives out of Jerusalem after he was come from Hebron. That's in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 13. What a polygamist. With all this constant addition of wives and concubines, God made no rebuke, showed no disfavor, neither did he cause David any affliction for, doing, for so doing. How could anyone say that God did not approve of David's polygamy? The number of David's wives and concubines must have grown to quite a number during his years as king. In one verse of the Bible, there is a little hint to the great number there must have been. And the, or this is Second Samuel uh, chapter 15, verse 16. And the king David went forth, all his household after him, and the king left ten women, which were concubines, to keep the house. Second Samuel Chapter 15, verse 16. King David took his household with him on a journey, but left 10 of his concubines to take care of the house while they were away. It appears that all of his household represented a majority of his wives, and the 10 he left behind were a minority. Certainly must have had a big household if it takes 10 women to take care of it while his family or most of it are away. Many inspired and beautiful psalms were written by David. Christians everywhere are probably more acquainted with the writings of this polygamist than any other writer in the Bible. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's quoted by young and old. Those who have studied the written word of God, the most probably appreciated or appreciate quotations like, The heavens declare the glory of God. Some of the wisest and most inspirational words in scripture fell from the mouth and pen of this polygamist. David's relationship with Bathsheba will be discussed in the following chapter. However, there is one last story about David and his polygamy that occurred near the end of his life. When King David was 
old and stricken in years. He had trouble getting warm. So they looked for a young virgin who was very fair to look upon. After a long search throughout all the coasts of Israel, they found Abishag, a a Shunammite, and brought her into the king so that she might lie in thy bosom that my lord the king may get heat. She cherished the king and ministered to him, but the king knew her not. It was evident his days were nearly over. Amidst all that, the explicit confessions he made in the most solemn hours of his repentance, he does not want to bewail the polygamy he lived in. Nay, almost his, the last act of his life was an act of polygamy. In taking Abishag, the Shonamite, to lie in his bosom, his wife Bathsheba being then living, for though it be said, First Kings chapter four, chapter one verse four, that he knew her not, yet it plainly appears by what Solomon said in First Kings two chapter two verse twenty two and twenty three, that she was so betrothed or spouse to David as to be looked upon as his wife. Philip Sora, page one seventy. According to historian Josephus, David was 70 years old when he was buried in the city of David, commonly known as Jerusalem, and he died in a good old age full of days, riches, and honor. That is 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 28, and now we're on page 112. Thus it is in the life of David that we have one of the clearest expressions of God's attitude towards and adultery. Consider these corroborative events. Number one, God never personally rebuked David for living polygamy, neither did any of the prophets condemn him for taking many women for wives. His living with several wives for 45 years was never denounced nor disproved. The scriptures tell us in 1 Kings chapter 15 verse 5, because David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord and turned not aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, save only the matter of Uriah the Hittite. That is 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 5. Number two, the only mortal sin attributed to David was his adultery with Uriah's wife, which means that he was not condemned for his polygamy. To illustrate, God said to Jeroboam in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 38, And it shall be that if thou wilt hearken unto all that I command thee, and wilt walk in my ways, and do that is right in my sight, to keep my statutes and my commandments, as David my servant did, that I will be with thee, end quote, from 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 38. Number three, when David committed a sexual act with Bathsheba, God sent a prophet to rebuke him for it. But during the 45 years David lived with many women in polygamy, no one ever made a whisper against him for that. Number four, if polygamy is wrong, why didn't God pick out monogamists, who were more common, to rule over Israel instead of Saul, David, and Solomon, who were polygamists? If the leaders of Israel were polygamists, wouldn't God realize that it would have a tendency to influence others to follow their example? Number five, God continually told David where his enemies were, what they were doing, where to meet them in battle, etc. Why didn't he notice all those women that were living in David's house if they were doing something wrong? Number six, when Saul made an illegal burnt offering and suffered such a terrible fate for doing it, why didn't God punish him for or David for living polygamy? Number seven, when David was living polygamy and running from a death warrant, why didn't God allow him to be captured and put to death if his polygamy, if his polygamy was a sin equal to adultery? 
Number eight, when Saul died, why didn't God divide his wives among the single men instead of giving them all to a polygamist, thus perpetuating a polygamist with more wives? Number nine, if a bastard was not allowed to be included in the genealogy of the Israelites, how come polygamous children are always mentioned there? Number 10, before he was anointed king over Judah and Israel, yet God and the people of Israel chose him to be the king. This indicates that the laws of God and the laws of man both approved of polygamy. Number 11, David had a son born through his adulterous act, which God smote to death before he was a week old. How do we account for the children born through polygamy becoming kings, prophets, patriarchs, and the lineage through whom Jesus Christ was born? Whatever the critics may say against polygamy, they must admit that except for one sin, polygamous David was a valiant soldier and an outstanding king and a righteous man. Furthermore, he was so close to God throughout his life that God himself admitted that David was, quote, a man after God's own heart, end quote. And now we're on page 115, also chapter 11, Bathsheba the Beautiful. And that we'll be talking about, I am sure, tomorrow night. A lot of those um, parts, that is what I thought they would lead off on, because a lot of that stuff is, you know, very interesting, especially the questions. Answer those questions. Why? Why was that the only thing that was um, pointed at as wrong? How come that baby was the only baby that was died and not, or killed, you know, by God and not um, all of the children from... Um, David, from Solomon, from, you know, from all of these polygamists, Abraham. Why didn't all of the babies die then? God does smite people. Um, I thought you had something to say, Mark, so. Can you uh, go ahead and do a preview on the next chapter? I'm kind of occupied at the moment. Okay. All right, well, let me open it all back up because I had just closed it all out and was, again, trying to help Liddy with the um, sewing project that she is. So now we are teaching her how to tie the knot at the end when she's done with the parts in a section. Make a little bump there. We don't want... Yep, there we go. All right. Let me see. What is this interesting next chapter going to be? You know, with me, I could probably do like a little uh, precursor for the next chapter and then be done in the whole chapter in like five minutes. So let's uh, give a little prequel to what we're having, what we're going to read tomorrow night. Chapter 11, The Sheba the Beautiful. And oh, she was. Okay, so it starts off with Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 7, verse 24 through 26. Quote, hearken unto me now, therefore, O ye children, and attend the words of my mouth. Let not thine heart decline to her ways. Go not astray in her path, for she hath cast down many wounded, yea, many strong men have been slain by her. End quote from Proverbs chapter 7, verses 24 through 26. It was springtime, and Israel was at war with the Ammonites. 
David should have been out in the battlefield, but he made the mistake of staying home. One day, David was taking a little stroll, and from the roof, he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. That's Second Samuel chapter 11, verse 2. Not satisfied with just looking, he invited her up to his apartment. The woman's name was Bathsheba, and she accepted the invitation. It was a Hollywood romance, love at first sight, and it didn't stop until after it reached the bedchamber. In that fateful moment, David made a tragic mistake in his spotless character, an event that troubled him the rest of his life. Wow, that was really good precursor. Dun, dun, dun. But now we're on page 116. And if you want me to, uh, I'm staring at this right now, and I can read this whole chapter in probably five minutes. So if you want me to continue with this very mysterious part of this reading. (laughs) Kim, if the next chapter is easy, I can probably finish it. Um, especially since oh, tomorrow, yes, but tomorrow you will have the probably going to the uh, the church thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and I like to do one chapter at a time anyway. I know, but it's so suspicious. If I was reading <laughs> it in my head, I'd be done in like two minutes. Uh-oh. My uh my coworker Josh is parked next to me. I better get out of here before he sees me. <laughs> oh, too late. I guess he's parked next to me, so he already sees me. <laughs> anyway, um are, do you have the studio open? I don't have the studio open and um Emmett is cleaning, so he doesn't have it open either. Oh, he says he does. Sorry. Hey. Emmett, I thought you weren't listening in. He has it open. Is there anybody uh, in the chat room or anybody? He's refreshing right now. If you give him just a second, he'll let you know. Okay. What do you think, Em? <laughs> he says, I think my phone has really bad Wi-Fi in the kitchen. <laughs> Oh, that's weird. Oh, man, I got my stomach hurt. (laughs) He says, uh, for a second there, it said, the good news, me and you are dialed into the studio. The bad news, dad isn't. And I'm clearly listening to you talk. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, he says, okay, it's reloaded. Nobody it. is anywhere. <laughs> you are not muted. I know. Okay, just letting you know. <laughs> Josh is giving me crap. He's all, did you stop to buy a beer? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, heck. Anyway, uh, well, um, I'm sorry. I was distracted by my friend Josh here. So the other day I was driving no the other way, and he says, he says, 
Will you just give me one? Uh-huh. <laughs> Sorry, <buddy. laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Meeting. They're so noisy. I know they are. <laughs> anyway, so I was kind of distracted by uh, Josh, and then one of the other coworkers just came out. So, uh. Oh. I'm sorry. I don't have my noise canceling mic tonight that I usually have because um, yeah. I just I kind of wanted to try this headset that my wife I got. Well, we got from my wife, and uh, yeah, it's not the greatest. The noise canceling, not like the one that she has on. Anyway, yeah. but uh, yeah, so it's nobody said anything in the chat room and nobody has called in and uh well he who sees your evil cometh not unto the light. You know, I might be a jerk for saying it, but so like in some scriptures it talks about the Davidic servant and how a mm-hmm. light will break forth in the darkness in the last days and they the righteous won't comprehend it. Well I don't know. It's about the Davidic servant. And all these people are looking for the Davidic servant. I'm like right there in front of their face. telling them, look, this is why I say what I say. This is who I am. This is what God told me about myself. You know, uh, and I can give evidence after evidence. Talking about Rabbi Yitzhak Nuri, the Dead Sea Scrolls. Go through Isaiah and talk about all these things and yeah, talk about all the visions that God has given me and all the different revelations and all this stuff. And still people will say, they'll disregard it. Just like my wife is disregarding what I'm saying. Seriously, Kim. Seriously, Kim. No. You know, you're not muted either. Oh, I'm not? I was. No. I've Why, been you hearing can hear me yelling, yelling at Emmett? Emmett. <laughs> yes, yeah, and I was, looking. like, trying to talk. Talking oh, about sorry. how people, like, how I can tell them exactly who I am, why I say what I say, talk about all the visions and all the revelations and all the things. You know, and then I can have my wife on as somebody who gives testimony. Yeah, I can hear you. I can hear you the whole time, Kevin. Oh, well, even when I had... So I just had the mic up most of the way. I think I was trying to see where it muted. This one is the one where if you put the mic up, you can't hear, right? Well, I don't know if it it actively mutes the mic when you put it all the way up or not. But if you did want to mute the mic, the top button on the right side is the one that mutes you and it will be and when it is muted it will be every like 10 to 15 seconds or something like that oh okay just to remind you sorry that, yeah even while we're doing the radio so I still have to like get the kids to do things and uh, I was trying to get Emmett to do some pellets but um, he wasn't so, in here I guess he was trying to do the, the garbage what a good kid yeah so the other thing, too, that's interesting is like, okay, so God isn't going to 
using exactly how you think he's going to because this is a chess game between Satan and between the Satanists and God. And, like, you're looking for the Davidic service, right? Well, they're looking for the Davidic service, too. And even though they know who I claim to be, my name's not David or David, uh, but, you know, there was an interesting guy in Waco, Texas, who changed his name to David. Uh, we know him as David Koresh. And he proclaimed to be the Davidic servant, even though he wasn't LDS. Like, I don't know. Like, some people do know about these things outside of the LDS church. Anyway, but um, he was part of the Seventh-day Adventist. Um, and... His name was David, and they were like, oh, look, there's a medic servant. Let's go kill him. So, you know, uh, that's what happened with that. And they tried to spin it to, 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 for it to be something different than it was. But one thing, though, about the Davidic servant, like God, God can choose whoever he wants the Davidic servant, and if that individual doesn't do what he's supposed to do, I'm pretty sure God can call another to that position. And it's like with Joseph Smith, like, it didn't matter if he did what he was supposed to do or not. Like, God told him he would reject God. He could reject him and call another prophet. So, um, but some interesting things about the Davidic servant, he will be named after his father. So people believe Joseph Smith uh, Jr. was the Davidic servant because he was named after his father. Well, something interesting about me, Mark is my dad's name. So it's also my name. But they never used to call me that when I was a kid because my mom hated I think she was just heartbroken over my dad. But anyway, so they called me by my middle name, which is Tyson. So that's why Kim calls me Tyson sometimes. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Uh, one interesting thing about Mark Lichtenwalter, though, uh, it means warrior, light in the forest. And the reason why Lichtenwalter is light in the forest is because my family lived in East Germany in the forest up in the mountains. And they had an inn. And they had a candle that they would put out in front of the inn. And they would light it. Some people call them light in the forest. Or another name would be light in the darkness. And it's interesting because when the scriptures say a light will break forth in the darkness, I know what my, my name means. Like, I don't even, I just, it's just interesting, you know. There's lots of little interesting things. But, um, I don't know, Isaiah chapter 49 says, I'll lose my first children. Whether you like it or not, I am your father in a way. Um, not your savior, but I am the father of those people. I've been chosen to be the Lord's anointed and appointed, and um, I don't mean, I don't know, I feel sorry for you. I mean, I've been telling people for years, 
people just, uh, I guess my, my, uh, I don't want to pick apart, I guess, uh, I don't look like what you think I'm supposed to look like, I don't sound like what you think I'm supposed to sound like, you know, I'm, I don't know, I'm in the depth camp, do you have anything to say before we end the program? Um, not really so much. Um, I don't know. I we I don't know. I've talked about you forever. Like we always talked about that about you. I know that's part of your witnesses to let people know, and it doesn't bother me. I just am like I don't know. <laughs> I I was in the dip, so I didn't know what you were saying. I know you're in the dip, so you can't really. I know. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, that mic, you know, that headset things, does not cancel out very good. <laughs> Mine does, but yours doesn't. Yeah. Well, maybe I'll just have to keep my headset from now on and use it. Instead. But, um, okay, so it might be a good thing that for the most part people hear, but they don't respond. Uh, that might be actually keeping me alive and not becoming like a David Koresh type of character. You know, but uh, according to the psychic that I met before my conversion in San Francisco, he said that um, that he saw a vision of me, and he said that the time will come when this nation will be full of wars and riots, and that it will be too dangerous to remain in the cities, and that... Uh, that I would become a great religious leader. And at the time, I was a goth, and I was like, you're a nut. (laughs) Oh, my God, this guy's crazy. But I never forgot what he said. Anyway, but he saw that I would be in the top of the mountain, and that people would gather around me, and I would be a great religious leader to them. So I don't know if we'll see in the highways at the top of the mountain down into the desert places. We'll see how it all works out. So the wicked can destroy the wicked. I know exactly what God is going to call us to be. So it will be a place to think. So anyway, uh, I guess uh, I don't really have anything else to say. And I am grateful that Ogden Kraut did compile this stuff about polygamy in the Bible, being just how there is a division and a, a group, uh, a bunch of different people breaking off, looking out about polygamy because they hate Brigham Young so much, so obviously because he practices polygamy. Polygamy is the most horrible, evil thing in the whole wide world, and, you know, cry me a river, I guess. I don't know. I just, I know what the scriptures say, and I know why God allows plural celestial healing for marriage, and uh, whether or not I can prove anything. I don't even know what to tell you. Like, I know what God showed me. And uh, I know that there is a precedent, and people who want to be ignorant and blind, they will never accept any of this stuff. But for those of you who are wondering and you want to know, that's why we're talking about this stuff. So, um, and by the way, uh, if you come into my group and you bad mouth towards me, I'm just going to kick out of my group, I'm done playing, playing games with people, 
Also, um, I don't know if this applies to any of you all out there, but I felt about three weeks ago that we needed, I needed to have my family remove their name from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints because there is a curse that is coming upon the church even worse than there already has been and that um, anyone with these names are tied to that church will be part of the curse. So I don't know. People need to get revelation about that for themselves. All I know is what I've been told to do with my family. So I've been telling people for years, you know, just remain in the church and try to be a light to the people there. But, well, things have come into a close with that thing. So I don't know. Anyway, uh, I guess we can just end the program tonight. It's almost 8 o'clock anyway, so... Okay, sounds good. Yep. Sorry, I had because it wasn't muting on my headset. Now, when you stop, then I have to go into my phone and then unmute it from my phone. Yes, Emmett does have the studio, so he can start the music. Are you ready for him to do the music? Okay. So. Okay. Well, yes, everybody, thank you for listening. Take care. God bless and goodbye, Emmett. Music.